kind of does your heart good to see so many people involved in worship, doesn't it? And so much of what it takes, so many people involved in training up and forming the church. It's been an exciting morning. I've enjoyed myself. I hope you have too. We're going to be focusing our efforts in Exodus 15 this morning. If you're following along, I certainly encourage that. We're going to start in Exodus 7 with two verses, so it'll be on the screen if you don't want to flip between those, but they're just a few pages away. Uh, summer vacation for those in elementary school particularly, but most schools is just a week away. Um, and I heard a yes up here. It's an exciting time, isn't it? People wait for that day, the final day of school, and we celebrate in all kinds of different ways. Um, but I'm going to guess that all of us who were ever kids at one time, and all of us who have kids, a week, two, or three into summer vacation, we've all said the exact same thing. At some point, what is it? I'm bored, right? Isn't it amazing that we can wait for the moment of freedom, finally, and we can reach freedom and still find ourselves in bondage in some way. Isn't that an amazing thing? That the day kids are waiting for finally summer vacation is here. We celebrate that. Now, boredom around our house, by the way, is not a bad thing. We're like, well, then you have to be creative and figure out how to get unbored, I guess, right? It's a learning experience for you. It's not my job to help you be unbored. You need to figure this out. Um, so boredom is okay. I'm, I've been a parent for 11 years. I haven't been bored in at least that long, I can tell you that. Some of you are probably the same way. Um, but let's talk about a moment then in Israel's history where they reach freedom and it feels like bondage to them. Where they get, get outside of, of captivity in Egypt and all of a sudden it feels like, well, what just happened, God? What's, what's happening here? Why is this the way it's working out? So let's start, though, and make sure we're all on the same page. Exodus 7, 16, and 17 uh, is where I want to start. That is the beginning of the plagues of Egypt. And so Moses and Aaron are together. They're about to go before Pharaoh. They've been before him already. But they're about to go before Pharaoh and instruct him on that, that initial plague that's going to start. Moses is getting the instructions from the Lord right here. And it says, Then say to him, the him is Pharaoh, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, or sent me to say to you, let my people go so that they may worship me in the wilderness. But until now, you have not listened. This is what the Lord says. By this you will know that I am the Lord. With the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water of the Nile, and it will be changed into blood. You got one important instruction that we need to pay attention to here. The, the purpose of why God is releasing the people from Egypt, that they would go where? Into the wilderness. Pay attention to that. Into the wilderness to worship the Lord. By this you will know, he says, since Pharaoh's not relenting, that I'm the Lord over all. That's a secondary point that's very important to catch from this. God is going to reveal through these plagues and through his mighty work that there is nothing above God. God is the highest authority and the highest power there is. Everything that thinks it's above God is about to find out it's not. God is the one who controls the Nile River and the land next to it, the animals in it, the animals flying over it, the crops in the field, the animals that eat the crops of the field, the rain, the clouds, and the ruler of the land. God is over all of them. And when God starts to, to do these 10 plagues in Egypt, with each one he's taking a stab at the gods of Egypt and the, and the things that Egypt has faith in. 
with each one of these. And he's affecting all spheres of life with each of these plagues progressively. There's not an area where God is not sovereign and in control, and and that's revealed in those. So if you just take, for example, this first plague, the plague of turning the Nile River into blood, God is taking a clear stab at Osiris, who would be represented by the Nile River. God is the God over the Nile. But it's also, we talk in our day and age about economic sanctions against countries. This is an economic sanction. The Nile is the economic lifeblood of Egypt. And God is taking a stab at the pocketbook of Egypt as well in this. Saying, this is going to hurt. Now are you going to relent, Pharaoh? Then by the time of the 10th plague, well, I should point out before we even get there, the fourth plague is important to note. I don't know if, as you were reading Exodus this last week or the last two weeks in our immersed Bible reading experience, um, if you noticed that when you get to the fourth plague of Egypt, the first three affect both the Hebrews and the Egyptians, but at the fourth plague, it changes. It's the plague of flies, and God says, this one's not going to affect Goshen and the Hebrews. It'll affect Egypt, but not them. So it's important to recognize that, e- that everybody experienced the plagues up until that point. And it appears, at least at the fourth plague, that God now says, okay, now there's a separation. I'm going to show you just how sovereign I am over all of this. Just how in control I am, as if that wasn't already on display. By the tenth plague, now there's a choice on the part of Israel. Are you in or are you out here? The 10th plague is the Passover. My wife pointed out to me in our reading from uh, Immerse, as we were reading Exodus, she says, God clearly references well before this that Israel is my firstborn. And isn't it interesting that the 10th plague is on the firstborn of all of Egypt? If you won't release my firstborn from bondage, then something is going to happen to your firstborn. You're going to feel what I'm feeling if you won't relent. And so the people in this Passover moment are spared from the pain of losing their firstborn, where Egypt is not, then Pharaoh relents and allows them to escape out of Egypt and out of bondage. But of course, then Pharaoh pursues them, and they get stuck at the Red Sea. God delivers them by parting the waters of the Red Sea. They cross over. He closes the waters in on the Egyptian army coming behind and takes them out. And then if you go to Israel 5, or Exodus 15, 1 and 2, they sing a song about it. As all of Israel... Moses and all the people, it says, sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted, both horse and driver. He is hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And it keeps going on like that. A wonderful song about God's deliverance of the people. Long awaited, 430 years, the text tells us. They were waiting for this day. And now God is delivered. But what's interesting is they come across a new barrier. Now they're on the other side of the Red Sea. Nobody's pursuing them. Nobody really can pursue them at this point. There's no army really left to pursue them. And they're stuck in the desert for three days without water. We'll read that in a moment. But the question that that comes and confronts us as we look at this text is what should we do when we face circumstances like this in our own lives? What do we do when life seems like it's rolling along really nicely? Like like the wind is behind us, pushing us forward. They're being rescued and delivered and pulled out of that bondage. And all of a sudden now, a new barrier comes up. Circumstances change. We encounter a car accident, financial issues, sickness, death, job loss, 
any kind of catastrophe that comes. God, what do I do in those moments? I think we're confronted with an issue like that here in the text. And before we turn back to Exodus 15, 22 through 27, here's my encouragement today. Here's the point today. We need to worship God in all seasons so you have a reservoir of hope in the hard seasons. Worship God in all seasons so you have a reservoir of hope in the hard seasons. Now let's see where they find themselves. Exodus 15, starting at verse 22. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it, is, it was bitter. That is why the place was called Marah, which means bitter. Well named, isn't it? So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord, your God, and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. Then they came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there near the water. Couple notes about the text itself when it says test in there, God tested them. It's kind of courtroom language that it switches over to at that point, like God's the judge, and they're in front of the judge. Uh, the idea actually is, is trained or to be formed, really, we might think of as a good term. God is saying, okay, let's, let's shape you in the right direction in this time of crisis. That's what that's really getting at there. Secondly, we should point out that when Moses throws the wood in the water and it makes it not bitter anymore, but sweet to drink, let's not get hooked on that piece of wood. Was it an iodine tablet piece of wood or a charcoal piece of wood that filtered the water in a particular way? Was it the Brita water filter piece of wood? It, it doesn't matter. Uh, what God is doing is making the water sweet and validating Moses' leadership, giving him a way to validate, you are my chosen leader in all of this, and I want that to be seen by the people. So we don't want to get wrapped up in some of those details as much because there's some bigger stuff going on. And I think Exodus 15, 26 is a good place to start because what you have are three ifs and a then that happen there that are crucial, I think. Three ifs and a then in, in Exodus 26. It says, if you listen carefully to God, if you do what is right, and if you pay attention to my commands and decrees. Very clear what they're supposed to do. And so a question that Israel needs to ask in this time is, what voices are we listening to to inform our lives? What, what voices are informing how we get through life? And Israel, as we come to realize, even though they sang this great song, they've been delivered, they're now in the wilderness, nobody's chasing them anymore. They're not in bondage at all. They keep looking back to the days when they were in bondage, but with rose-colored glasses. Right? So, so they have, we don't have water here, and the next two stories go together with this very clearly. This is the story of Mara and Elam. Then you have the story of manna and quail, where they say, well, we don't have food, Moses. Are you really God's leader? We don't have food. What are you going to do about that, buddy? And he says, God, I can't handle these people. And God says, let me give them manna and quail. 
They're going to have so much it's going to come out of their noses. And then he goes on. And then just a little while later, they say, Moses, we don't have any water again. What are you going to do about that? And even Moses gets frustrated by that point. And that's the incident that we heard from Psalm 95 and Hebrews 3 of Masa and Meribah, quarreling and testing because they tested the Lord and quarreled over the water. It was such a bad incident. They keep looking back. Back in Egypt, we had food. We sat around pots of meat. Back in Egypt, we had water. Back in Egypt, we had lentils and other good vegetables and things to eat. Back in Egypt, we had shelter. Moses, do you remember that? But if you notice, you got the three ifs from God that happened in the text. And then the then comes in and it addresses all of their forgetfulness, I believe. Three ifs, if you listen carefully, if you do what is right, if you pay attention. And then, of course, God says, then if you do all those things, life is going to get better, right? No, read the text. In, in verse 26, if you do these things, if you listen, if you do what's right, if you pay attention, then I will not bring on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals. Do you guys remember that you went through the first three plagues? You remember what it felt like. I spared you from plagues four through seven. You know what it was like to be spared. Don't forget those days. I'm the God who heals. But if that's what you want to return to, let me remind you of the full package you're returning to. The then is a very strong then here. God holds out the promise of healing. Walk with me, and it will improve even though we're in a difficult moment. I called you to the wilderness to worship me. This is where you're supposed to worship me. Things can be made right when we walk with God. Why is listening, doing right, and the commands and decrees, why are those things so crucial? Let me give you three thoughts on that under our whole heading of that we need to worship God in all seasons. And the first thing is that relationship with God is key to the result that God's offering. It's key to healing. It's key to the hope that we have, that we would walk in step with God. That's why we would listen carefully. That's why we would have, uh, uh, obey the commands and decrees. That's why we would do what is right. And let me just clarify, I am not by any means preaching salvation by works by saying that, by saying that, that what is being said here, that obeying the commands and decrees is important. Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to obey what I command. That matters. It still matters. And we need to know what Jesus commands then. We recognize that. What this is getting at and what God is getting at here with Israel is we need to build a relationship together. It's a relationship building mechanism that we walk together in easy times and in hard times. When my wife and I first got married, a week after getting married, we packed up everything we had and we moved to Vancouver, British Columbia, where we knew, uh, really we knew two people south of Vancouver and only one of those people we knew well and we had to stay with them for about a week while we were homeless. Um, but... Then when we moved to Vancouver, a city of about three million, we knew nobody. We lived there for two and a half years. We got to know some people and some friends. I was going to graduate school. That helped. Uh, but while we were there, we really had each other for two and a half years. That was the strongest, most important relationship we had. Newly married, first couple years of marriage. And through that time, we went through some really good times. We went through some hard times, some never good times financially. It was always lean because we were in our first years of marriage, right? We know how that works. Uh, but what I remember is, and this is an important point, adversity makes strong relationships stronger. When you walk together in those moments, we are a culture that's afraid of pain and difficulty and hard times. But we forget how much we can learn by pain, difficulty, and hard times. I don't wish it on myself. I like Tylenol like the next person, right? I don't want a headache longer than I have to have it. But at the same time, 
Those painful moments can shape us more than some of the well moments can. And when we have strong relationships to walk with other people in those hard times, we develop even stronger relationships because of those hard times. And that's what's happening here with Israel walking with God in the wilderness. If they'll walk with God, it's going to get better, not worse. They're going to have a stronger relationship with God, not a weaker one. And the same thing is true for us. If we can walk with and worship God, even in the hard times, it's going to make the whole relationship better. And we continue to walk forward into the hope God has for us. Now, that's an easy word to say and sometimes a hard word to do. But I believe it's the truth. Secondly, why listening, doing right, and, and obeying what God commands is important is that obedience may seem mundane to us. I think quite often it does, but it's crucial to a vibrant faith. So if we ask the question already of, of Israel, okay, what voices are you guys listening to to get through life? And they're constantly looking back to Egypt. What if we ask the same question of ourselves? What voices are you listening to to get through life? Far too often, we might realize that our sources are poor. I mean, whether we, we can be trying very hard, but we can get a lot of different information from a lot of different places that inform how we're supposed to operate that have nothing to do with how God wants us to operate. It's seeping in all the time into our lives. For some of us, it's stronger. For some of us, it's weaker. But we're all around uh, different influences all week long that are telling us to live in a way in opposition to God's way and kingdom. It's all around us. I was struck this week uh, with how important this is uh, in a quote I ran into. Uh, Cove Magazine, our denominational magazine, had a nice article uh, between Gary Walter, our president, being interviewed or interviewing Craig Groeschel, the pastor of the, one of the largest churches in the U.S. and one of our covenant churches, Life Church. Um, I've been impressed with their, their uh, statement of beliefs for years, and they have a whole bunch of, of kind of code of conduct sort of statements of how they're going to conduct themselves as a church and the first one is they're going to live as, as individuals and as a church with integrity in all things. And the little byline under that is, if we live with integrity, nothing else matters. If we don't live with integrity, nothing else matters. I mean, it really matters, doesn't it? That if, if right is right, if true is true, we're going to follow that and pursue it. And once we step off the path of right, then that calls into question everything. And that's why obedience matters that we would follow God in all things. And that's why the relationship matters, that we'd know the one that we're walking with personally and well in all times of life because those things put together lead us to transformation. They shape who we are in the good and the bad. They form who we are in the good and the bad. Let's test this out a little bit culturally, uh, the issue of transformation particularly. Um, there was the incident a number of weeks ago uh, at Starbucks that uh, we might know about where uh, two African-American gentlemen were in the Starbucks and uh, they had not purchased anything. They were, the policy of that Starbucks, when they asked to use the bathroom, the policy of the Starbucks technically was to ask non-paying customers to leave. Instead, the police were called and they were arrested. Um, this was an unfortunate reality and, and shouldn't have been the case um, it's clear that Starbucks at least took this as a case of a racial bias that took place of somebody assuming something because of somebody's race. 
Now, you may or may not agree with that, but let's just point out that racial bias affects us all in one way or the other, and as believers in Christ, we need to make sure that we address it in our own lives. This happened in this particular case. If Starbucks, they, one of the things that they've done uh, is that they have said that anyone who comes into the store, even on the patio, we consider a customer. If they ask to use the washroom, they're good to go. Okay, if that's all that they would have done, we would say that's a wonderful veneer over the problem, right? But instead, now they're shutting down 8,000 stores and they're gonna do racial bias training. We can say, okay, they wanna change something about who they are. They want some transformation. And we can recognize, you can agree or disagree with uh, whatever they're doing, that's fine with me. Um, I think the incident is, is unfortunate and an unfortunate reality for too many of, of our friends of color. We ought to acknowledge that, but transformation matters is the point that I'm making right now. Transformation matters, and we know it matters, that if something's wrong, we wanna make it right, or we ought to make it right, and we recognize when those times need to happen. Is it any different with God and God's call on us? That something's wrong inside of us because of sin, and we need to be shaped and transformed, and our obedience to God and our relationship with God will lead to that transformation. And ignoring those essential relationships will lead the other direction. It'll just put a veneer over the problem. Third thing I want to point out. We're forgetful people. So we need to walk in a relationship with God through thick and thin. We actually do need to obey God, even if it seems mundane on certain days. Even if it seems so routine on certain days. But we also need reminders of God's goodness at regular intervals. We absolutely need that. The people were forever looking back at Egypt. God delivers and delivers and delivers and provides and provides and provides, and they keep looking back saying, okay, yeah, we got water yesterday, but are we gonna get it today? I don't know. Egypt was so much better, remember that? And God says, I can remind you of Egypt. Do you wanna be reminded of Egypt? Or do you wanna be healed? Do you want to walk in freedom? We need reminders of God's goodness to us. Psalm 95, which we heard some of this morning, is the, really the first commentary on this whole incident that occurs in Exodus. I want to read a little piece of that again. Psalm 95, starting at verse 6. It's this great psalm of praise. Is how it starts with a psalm of warning. It says, come let, us worship and bow, come let us bow down and worship. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker, for He is our God. And we are the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. And then it says, today, if only you would hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested me. They tried me. They turned the courtroom scene around is what they did. Though they had seen what I did. We need regular reminders so that we don't backslide, so that we don't walk away from freedom back into bondage and buy into something that we call truth that's really a lie. Buy into some things that even sometimes look right but are in fact wrong. We need those regular reminders through things like what we're doing now, corporate worship. It matters. It matters that we're together regularly 
to worship God. It matters that we meet together in groups like we saw with all those people standing on stage that, uh, that help educate us and train us in discipleship. It matters that we serve together as God's people. It matters that we study God's word deeply and it matters that we do it in a devotional way where we let it wash over us like the waves of the sea shaping us each day. It matters that we take time to meditate on God's word and let it get deep inside of us so that it changes us and continues to shape us even when we walk away from the text in print form. It matters that we do things like journaling or stopping to write down God's goodness to us. It matters when we take moments of Sabbath or reflection to just stop and be with God and say, God, you are good to me. I will praise you and I will let you speak into my life in this time of silence and reflection. It matters that we have the testimony of other believers and it matters that we have friends of the faith who can walk with us. We need all of those things, not just one, not just do all of those sorts of things speaking into our lives because even under the best of circumstances, brothers and sisters, we forget far too often. Let me give you an example from my own life. Uh, back in February, I preached on putting on the full armor of God. I had a dream a couple days later. I never remember my dreams. This one felt clearly from God. I woke up in the morning, and God had told me, and I told Stephanie, my wife, I said, okay, I had a dream last night. Felt like it was from God. I'm going to tell it to you. You can help confirm this. I, God said, put on the full armor of God. You just preached on it. Put on the full armor of God. You need it. And she said, what do you think it means? I said, I don't know. It's very interesting. So I was mulling on it and dwelling on it for a while. And then like the king in the book of Esther, I forgot a very important thing. You know, if you read Esther and he gets saved by Mordecai and then later on he can't sleep and he has the annals read to him and he's like, oh, Mordecai, right, that guy saved my life. Did I ever do anything nice for him? Like, that's a big deal, right, to forget. So a couple months later, I was having a period where I was feeling kind of intense spiritual uh, pressure. It just felt like a lot of things were pressing in in a way that I hadn't experienced in quite a while. And, and it was a long week. And I remember Stephanie said to me towards the end of that week, she said, do you remember your dream? I said, what dream? She said, the one that you had a couple months ago. I said, which one is that? I mean, it's the only dream I remembered for, for the last like six years probably. And she's like, the one about the armor of God? Oh, right. I should put that on. Right? I, like, I totally forgot about a very important thing. We need constant reminders of God's goodness, don't we? Because even under the best of circumstances, we forget. The last thing I wanted to say about this, we've talked about worship God in all seasons so you have a reservoir of hope in the hard seasons. But I want to point out that God's goodness today is a sample of God's goodness for eternity. That's what we're buying into. That's what we're walking into. That's the healing we're starting to walk into with God that we're getting a foretaste of what's to come. Look at the course of the story. They come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, they go to the wilderness, the desert of Shur, the place they were supposed to go to worship God, which is the place they complain about it the most, isn't it? The one place, that's the instruction they had, go to the wilderness and worship me, they get to the wilderness and they complain. Why are we here and what are we doing, right? They forget the whole purpose. But then what's over the horizon? Elam, verse 27. There were 12 springs and whatever it was, 70 palm trees or something like that. There's, there's an oasis there. And what you see and what you should see in the story is that that is a sampling of the promised land to come. They've been released. 
They've been given a sampling of what's to come. They're going to face some adversity ahead, but God says, let me let you taste some good things. So you know the bigger thing, the land flowing with milk and honey, is in the future. Equally, on this side of the cross, we recognize that in Jesus Christ, we've been given the supreme exodus from sin and the bondage of sin to freedom in Christ. We've been allowed to to be forgiven of that which would keep us from God's presence. We've been called to repent and turn from that which would continue to keep us from God's presence and walk into the healing that God gives by the power of the Spirit, as we hear this morning. We've been called to walk towards Elam and get a foretaste from time to time when we worship together, when we gather together, when we read his word of the good things, when the Holy Spirit works within our lives. We get a taste just like that oasis of the kingdom of God and the promised land to come when we finally get to experience our hope fully. And the author of Hebrews, who also comments on Psalm 95, which comments on what happened in the wilderness. We heard some of that this morning. Let me read you a little bit of that uh, as we round this out this morning. In Hebrews 3, he quotes again this Psalm 95. He says, The Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness, where your ancestors tested and tried tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did. This is why I was angry with that generation. I said their hearts are always going astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And verse 12, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. There's an urgency there. Today, if you hear his voice, turn. Today, if you hear his voice, ask for forgiveness and repent. Today, if you hear his voice, you can begin to be healed from the curse of sin. Not to be completed until the day when our hope is complete, but it starts now. That healing starts now when we walk in relationship with God. Today, we can be transformed through that relationship and that obedience into the likeness of Jesus Christ. That's why we need the regular discipline of worshiping God, both corporately and as we leave this place, of worshiping God in all seasons so that when the hard seasons come, and they do, and they're even here for some of us, we have a reservoir of hope that we can draw from. We have a people around us that we can live with and die with who can draw us towards that goodness. And we can experience some of that healing now and we get to experience the fullness of it later. And here's the good news as we round this out this morning. Brothers and sisters, there is an oasis over the horizon. But we might need to go through the desert to get there and fully appreciate it. But it is there. Our hope is set before us. And when adversity comes, we can walk with God in that adversity, hard as it might be strengthening that relationship and worshiping him all the way so we can fully experience that hope. Let's pray together. Father, your word is true. Your character is worth knowing. You are the one who loves us more than anybody we can experience. You are the one who shows us what good is. You're the very definition Today, help us understand your goodness, your love, worked out in our lives. 
today help us walk towards you and worship you, whether today is the greatest day we've experienced or we are in the pit. God, because we know that you're there in either one. You're the God who entered into our world through your son, Jesus Christ, and experienced some of the worst that we have to offer so that we could experience the best that you have to offer. God, help us walk in lockstep with you in obedience and relationship. Help us reflect what we experience with you to those around us that they can walk with you. Father, for those of us that need forgiveness this morning, we ask for it. For those of us that need to turn because we are walking in the opposite direction, may we turn and repent, walking towards you and with you. Father, do not let us miss the call today that if we hear your voice and we're in the wilderness, we still need to turn to you. Help us worship you today in all of your fullness. Pray this in your name. Amen.